0: I think it was actually one of the lockdowns for this year where I'd signed it into the legal directions. They're usually signed pretty late at night, so close to midnight. And um, I was going in the next day and the streets were completely empty and I thought, oh my God, what have I done?
1: Former Victorian Deputy Chief Health Officer, Professor Alan Cheng.
0: There's a few of those, so closing borders is the other sort of big one, so I think I was the first person to close the South Australian border in 101 years, then New South Wales as well, so they're, yeah, they're pretty big decisions to make and you're very conscious that um, everything you do impacts on a lot of people and it's a great responsibility to have.
1: It sure is, especially when you've just been seconded into the job. I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Work in Life, we're working through the pros and the pitfalls of secondments. So what exactly is a secondment? Dr. Amanda Lizier is a workplace learning researcher and lecturer at the University of Technology, Sydney. A secondment, in its simpler sense, is you're
2: stepping out of your regular everyday job, either completely or part-time. Uh, in a way to either gain experience or to share some expertise that you might have. And how long is a secondment generally for? They really vary. Uh, it could be up to a year. It could be a few days a week. It could be for a couple of months. It really depends on the nature of the project that you're trying to complete or the
1: experience that you're trying to get. And what are some of the different types of secondments?
2: There's quite a few really. Um, it could be a secondment to gain experience in a different organisation. So perhaps it's a a vendor or a government department, something that you deal with regularly. Uh, It could be another area of your own organisation to gain some broader experience, some different skill sets. It could also be a way to broaden your networks in an organisation to be a bit more visible um, to get you out there and seen a bit more in the organisation too.
1: But Alan didn't ask for this huge responsibility. He's a quietly spoken statistician who is seriously disinterested in the limelight, And I know this firsthand because Alan is also my cousin. An expert in infectious diseases, Alan already had a big job at one of Melbourne's major hospitals when one winter's night in 2020, he got a call out of the blue offering him the secondment of a lifetime.
0: Yeah, look, I I got contacted by a number of people. So it was a weekend um, in about the middle of July and it was uh, some of the deputy secretaries from the Department of Health and then I got messages from Brendan Murphy and uh, and he'd uh, also contacted my CEO at Alfred Health to say, you know, can you free Alan up for a job into the department? And it, at that stage, it actually wasn't really clear what I was called on to do. They just said they needed help and um, the deputy chief Health officer role is... Obviously, not generally the one that stands up in front of the media, it's more the back room help and contact tracing and things like that.
1: And what was your initial response when you started getting these calls? For example, the one from the former Deputy Secretary Terry Simons.
0: Yeah, look, um, I wasn't particularly enthusiastic. It's not like I don't have a normal job to do. Um, and uh, I would have to be combining it to some extent with my existing roles. And obviously, I had to make sure that uh, the office looked after. Luckily, we have quite a large infectious diseases unit, so some of my colleagues here were able to to step up and fill the the hole that I leave. But um, I wasn't particularly enthusiastic, and obviously, it's a... You know, it's a very different role with a very different skill set, and you know, I have some of those skills, but not all of those, and uh, and so it was a bit nerve wracking going in.
1: And so that skill gap, what were the main things you were worried about?
0: So the main one is, um, you know, public speaking. <laughs> so as you can probably tell from talking to you, <laughs> it's uh, not probably my forte, and it's, you know, it's very different. You know, as a doctor, you're not um, completely unfamiliar with having to speak to patients and families and, you know, even give talks at um, conferences and so on. But talking to the public is, you know, a very, very different skill set.
1: And can you describe at the time what your role was?
0: It's a mixture of things. So I think a lot of people think media is actually the main part of the job, but actually it isn't. It's um, a lot of it is actually about policy. So, you know, what are the settings, what the legalities of restrictions and obviously... And then sort of just keeping the system going, so keeping an eye on the epidemiology and where the case numbers, what are those numbers telling us and then how to respond to that. And then there's also the obviously contact tracing. I wasn't uh, quite as heavily involved in that, but contact tracing is a huge operation and how do you keep that all going and how do you make sure that everyone's told the right thing.
1: And did you have any idea at the time how hard it was going to be or what you were facing?
0: Oh, look, uh, yeah. I I mean, I think it it, it was pretty obvious that uh, things were getting pretty hot. It was uh, around the time I think when I was called, there was probably about 300 cases a day and then by the time I got in, it was about 400 and it was pretty obvious the way things were going. But there was a lot of things I didn't know, um, particularly you know, how government works. That's, uh, you know, what are all these departments and deputy secretaries and secretaries and how does it work with premiers and ministers and so on. So that, that was uh, absolutely the, the steepest part of the learning curve, I think.
1: Why did you decide to say yes in the end, Alan?
0: Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I think it was ov- obvious that they needed help. I think in the end... It is public service and it is stepping up to help Victoria and Australia in that sense. I think part of it was a little bit uh, that my job is at the Alfred and um, trying to protect the Alfred. The best way to do that sometimes is to step up and try and make sure that COVID is controlled in the wider wider community. So I think there was quite a lot of motivations for that, yeah.
1: And then you get to that moment where you have to front up at daily press briefings where about 1.5 million people get to tune in (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, I actually don't know how, I don't know how many, that's what uh, the Premier had told me. He he actually told me that just as we're about to go up for one and he didn't look so nonplussed about it, but uh, I almost tripped over the stairs going up. (laughs) Thank God how many people are listening to what I say.
1: And you've described yourself as a quietly spoken person. This is not your forte. This is part of your skills gap. So, how did you prepare for that? What sort of advice were you given?
0: So, I did a couple of hours of media training and I've done it before. So, and obviously, I'm not completely a stranger to talking to media, but it is very different when you're in the firing line as opposed to you just commenting on the situation as an expert and so a couple of the things were things like firstly don't make anything up if you don't know just say you don't know and we'll get back to you and then you try and sort of make the story about the situation and you certainly don't want to be the ever be the story yourself um, if, if you can help it. And then uh, a couple of things like, you know, just trying to be consistent with what everyone else has said. So you really have to pay attention to what Brett had said the previous day to make sure you're not cutting across um, their lines and confusing people.
1: I think there's something about the humility and humanness of admitting that, you know, you're doing this role, this secondment, um, you know, but it doesn't mean that, you know, everything's all sorted, that you do have something to learn.
0: Oh definitely. I think I mean whenever you change any job there's always quite a lot to learn and some of that's professional things and uh, some of that's just who's who and um yeah, and who do you go to. But when you change roles completely to something different um working in government's clearly very different to working in a hospital and just try to work out how the systems work and you know how things are done as well as trying to get across what is the actual situation and what is appropriate for Victoria and the public health restrictions, you know, there's quite a lot to do.
1: <laughs> Master of the understatement. But Amanda Lizier says when it comes to on-the-job learning, succommens can be priceless it's usually tied up in
2: some learning, talent planning, succession planning uh, kind of processes in organisations. So, sometimes it's someone's personal learning goal. They want to gain experience in an area. And we know from years and years of research that we, we really do learn through the experience of work and reflecting on what we've learned and then applying it in a new situation. So, comments give a really good opportunity to learn you know, situated in another time and space and get new perspectives, deal with different people, and then bring it back and apply it to your everyday job. So it's a really good way for people to meet those personal career goals. It's also a way for an organization to, in terms of organizational learning and planning in that space, to make sure that they've got broadly skilled people who can operate across different areas of the business, particularly when you're getting into leadership roles, more senior roles, when you want people to have had that depth of experience across maybe a lot of different operational areas of a business.
1: And is there a particular stage in a career when they might be the most useful then?
2: They're useful a lot of the time, I guess, again, because we learn through experience, but particularly early on when people are starting out or in the first sort of, you know, five, 10 years of a career where you're becoming established, you want to gain experience across lots of areas. And it's also useful in what you know, sometimes gets dismissively called the soft skills. So it's learning to deal in with different people, different projects, different contexts, um, you know, especially if it's in a different sector to what you normally work in. Um, it's good for skills, but also in terms of your networking, building those professional networks, which is also a really important part of the learning process.
3: My name's James. I'm a HR professional and I did a succumbinant seek.com.au 13 years ago it was an internal comment within seek so i stayed in the in the organization but moved out of the hr team into three other teams over the course of about 12 months i was fortunate to be given the opportunity to be involved in that rotation through my manager at the time mean callahan who thought it would be a good way for me to broaden out my commercial acumen having only really worked in HR teams before and she was right. I, I learned so much in such a short period of time. I think it really helped set up my career. A few of the specific elements that I really benefited from was understanding the customer. So the particularly from a customer experience perspective and and building empathy for the customer and understanding what they were trying to use our products for and that's led me in good stead through other SaaS businesses over the last 20 years. Having empathy for people who deal with customers directly on a daily basis because they are at the face, And then commercial acumen. So, understanding a balance sheet and a, uh, not well, but well enough. Understanding a profit and loss statement, understanding what drives revenue growth, what hinders revenue growth, understanding churn. So, the, the levers that really make organizations tick. And I think lastly, understanding what I didn't want to do and it was most of those things full-time. The advice I have for those considering secondments or considering set up secondment programs would be do it. I think the value is there and it not only creates internal value for the people involved in the program and for the teams that they move into and the teams that they move back to by bringing through what they learn It builds trust and empathy and it also encourages longevity and loyalty through through those opportunities. You might be able to convince some people to stick around rather than look for their next gig somewhere else.
1: For Professor Alan Cheng, one of the biggest lessons was navigating government bureaucracy.
0: This was advice that was given and I think it's particularly relevant to very large organisations is, you know, most of the first thing you have to do is get the organisational chart and work out what are all these departments that are. I do remember in government there's a there are departments I've never heard of, um, and it took me maybe a month to work out what what their actual role was. So there's a whole department of intergovernmental relations, and I went, "What, <laughs> what is that all about?" Um, and then so I had to call up someone and say, "Well, what is it? That, <laughs> what is it that they actually do?" And when my, I need to go for them for advice, and it turns out they're quite important actually. <laughs> so, um,
1: Alan, what did you get out of this, secondment?
0: I, I think one of the things that wasn't important to me is that. You know, there's all these things that you do along the way that you never really think if you're going to use. So, I've, for example, I've done media training at the hospital, never thought that um, I'd ever use it. And then suddenly <laughs> you're thrown into this and he uh, thinks so that nothing you learn is ever wasted, I have to say.
1: <laughs> Even
0: doing maths at high school, uh, you know, probably didn't see really the point of that. But, uh, you know, I'm a statistician now, so... <laughs>
1: And really, you're a good example of a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset, because I think you could have said, look, I'm not, you know, I'm gently spoken, I'm not that type of person who actually wants to be doing anything to do with the media. So, you know, it's a hard no from me, you know, I'm going to play to my strengths. Um, but, you know, that growth mindset of always learning, I might as well give it a crack, it sort of comes through.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, it. I mean, I, I certainly was conscious that this could all could go bad and... Um, you know, obviously, it turned out probably for the best, at least by um, the end of the year, it, uh, things were a whole lot better. But uh, I think I, I did take some counsel from senior people at the hospital and they said, well, at the very least, you'll, um, you'll, you do have a job to come back to here and uh, you'll have a whole lot of uh, very interesting stories to tell.
1: Alan, you had to make many difficult decisions during your secondment, which was supposed to be a few months, but ended up being a year. How did you deal with that kind of pressure?
0: To tell the truth, I think you're sort of in the moment and everything's happening. You don't really get to stop to think too much about um, how I myself might be feeling. <laughs> Usually, after you sign directions, the first thing you do is go to sleep. So, <laughs> that's, uh, that's uh, then it's the, in the morning where you wake up and you think again, you know, about um, reflect on what you did the night before. I think often what is difficult in, especially these sort of highly adrenaline-fueled jobs is actually when you step away from it and is um, so now thinking back on the year it, uh you know, get a bit more, maybe a bit more post-traumatic stress disorder than I probably did at the time. But uh, it's uh, an interesting process. But um, at the time, it really was just day after day, putting one foot in front of the other and just seeing what had needed to be done next.
1: That's a good point, isn't it? Just sort of after something like that finishes, it might stay with you and say to pay attention to, and maybe even get support for. What might happen in that space afterwards? Which is, it might all actually start hitting you emotionally.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, I think you know, everyone has their own ways of coping. I have to say, I can't really watch the news or listen to the radio anymore. <laughs> um, I do listen to the uh, press conferences occasionally, but uh, I, I tend to just read <laughs> read it online. It's, it's sort of a little bit triggering to uh, to listen to uh, journalists ask questions now. I have to say,
4: <laughs> Not, uh, you <laughs> aside, obviously. <laughs>
1: And Amanda Lizier has some tips on how we can not just survive, but thrive in a secondment.
2: It is really important to have even just a little structure around it. Um, And quite often, one of the pitfalls can be, it just seems like a great idea, or perhaps another institution, another department needs a bit of help with the project, and so they'll second somebody in. But to really get the most out of it, it's important for everybody involved to be clear on what the outcomes are. You know, if there's particular project outcomes, but also the learning outcomes, you know, for me as an individual, what do I want to get out of this? What do I want to learn? Where does it fit in the broader story of my career and where I hope to go? And then that also comes into planning for integrating that person into the new team. So what will they be working on? What are their responsibilities? How is that going to be positioned with their colleagues? And really importantly, too, is what happens for the return, particularly for long secondments? How are we going to keep you in touch with your home institution or your home team? How are we going to make sure you're up to date if things change while you're away? What's that process going to be like to make sure that
1: you fit back in if you want to go back to where you came from? Sounds like you're saying that the individual should be quite proactive about their secondment.
2: I think that's really important, yes. Um, even if it's something that's offered, you know, your, your boss comes to you and says, We've got this great opportunity. Really give being critical in your thinking about it. Where's this going to fit for me? Where's the opportunity? Um, And then being clear on your goals up front then helps you reflect at the other end. So once you've had this experience, and even during the experience, a really big part of learning through experience is the ability to reflect on that experience. So if you're clear from the start, I was hoping to learn these three things, then at the end you can say, well, did I learn them? To what extent did I learn them? And how can I apply them in the future?
1: Are there any other cons to taking secondments that we should be aware of? I think being very clear on, certainly
2: from a learning side, those development opportunities. Because sometimes secondments can be for operational needs and that's fine, but it can be to fill a gap or to share expertise that you have. And there's still a learning opportunity in that. Even if you're the experienced person going to share that expertise, you can still think about, okay, well, what does this mean for me and how can I position this in terms of my career? But I guess that being very clear on what's the host offering you, where will you sit and how do your responsibilities interact with people already in the team? You know, is there likely to be any resistance or people uncomfortable with you coming, those sorts of more political questions. Um, But you also need it to be clear, you know, are they going to lean very heavily on you? You know, um, putting some limits around exactly what you're there to do so that you don't get subsumed into the, um, there's just another person in the next team that you're going to.
1: So it sounds like the secret sauce here is being explicit and having lots of conversations about expectations. Absolutely. Yeah, don't
2: assume that everybody's on the same page and being really clear about the purposes, even if that purpose is more organisational than personal development, it's really important to be clear about that up front.
1: And so we've heard how comments can help your career, but did you know they can also help your love life?
5: Actually met my future husband on one of my secondments. So we were seconded to the same site, different companies. So we weren't dating. A po- like, it was almost like a Romeo and Juliet. He was from one oh. consulting firm, and I was from another. <laughs> and so we didn't start dating on the secondment because that would have been like a huge no-no. So we started dating a few years afterwards, and then yeah, he's now my husband. So Romeo and Juliet at the secondment world. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That, Juliet, also known as Kieran Clune, is on her third external secondment, this time as a consultant with a major gas company. And Kieran admits she's become a bit of a secondment junkie.
5: Um, so, I mean, you never know who you'll meet. So it could be like um, your husband or it could be some really good lifelong friends. And it could be potentially somebody for your next boss in another role that you could have down the track. Um, and I think just an, almost a networking opportunities, like you'll never know who you could meet. Um, And you'll never know, you might get a job out of it later on or you might get another contract and that type of thing. So, um, and you can meet mentors as well and you meet other experts in your field Um, and you can also find out what you like and don't like in terms of their careers as well, which I find you don't have to live through those experiences of other people to understand what you do and don't like. So you get a bit more of a taste of that. And you get to teach people how to fish as well and how to help themselves, which I find really beneficial. I mean, there's benefits and cons to this, but you get the benefits of both offices. So pre-COVID, it meant two lots of Friday afternoon drinks, at least two Christmas parties, one for each office, but then you get the teams that you seconded to. So you might have a lot of Christmas parties or a lot of barbecues and that type of thing. And you get to experience multiple organisational cultures. Yeah, and I think too, I've been fortunate that it suits my personality. So just understanding who I am, what I like to do, secondments are meeting new people, enjoying the work I do. So for me, that's one of the pros that I can really flex my strengths in the second environment.
1: Let's go to the flip side. What are some of the cons?
5: <laughs> um, so both like with the, the admin of both roles, so you've got to do two lots of timesheets. At one point I was doing two lots of timesheets. Um, it also means sometimes two lots of the staff meetings. And knowing, like, two lots of the filing system, so sometimes you might have to have the same document, but you've got to have it for both, so you've got to do it and you've got to format it slightly differently. So you sometimes spend twice as long and, I'm like, oh, it's the same document, but it is, it is what it is. So,
1: uh, What about being maybe even stuck in the middle? Like, do you get a sense of that maybe you have a lack of belonging because you're neither at your original firm nor the seconded place any time?
5: You can, yeah. So sometimes, like, I know when I was in the seconded place and I'd been there for about three months and I went back to my home office and I'm like, who are all these people? Who? I don't even know who these people are. And I'm like, and they're sitting at my desk. Who are these people? And I'm like, all oh, my stuff's being pushed to the side. That's my desk. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So you do feel as though you, you belong, but you don't belong. Like, sometimes there's that halfway point. But if you build strong relationships, especially in your second place, you don't really feel left out. And I think it's a matter of just keeping and keeping on touching base.
1: And how do you think it's helped your career? Um,
5: I think it's given me a lot more broader perspectives. So rather than from just to, from a consulting lens, for example, you just see things, oh, this is what the client is, or this is what the client wants. Whereas when you're actually on the secondment, you can go, actually, no, they don't want that. They actually want this. And this is whether their day day-to-day activities rather than just being a fly on the wall you're actually off the wall and on the ground so it's actually been really great career-wise and it's been really good on a personal level as well.
1: Well what's some advice that you can give on how to make the best out of secondment opportunities?
5: My advice would be you don't know where they're going to take you or what they're going to be so you're never going to know exactly how comments going to pan out so if you're interested a slight bit of interest, put your hand up and say yes. And if it's the longer, the better. So the longer it is, the better and the stronger relationships that you can have and the more you're going to get out of it. So the more you're invested there into your secondment, the more you're going to be able to get out, the more you're going to learn for yourself, the stronger the networks and the stronger the relationships you're going to build out of it. So my main tip is Go for it and be invested in it. I don't know if I can use the word half ass, but don't do it half ass, go full in.
1: (laughs) Boots and all. And this episode has worked on this working life's producer, Maria Tickle. She's so sold on succumbents, she's off to ABC Science to do one. Maria, was it something I said? No, Lisa, you know that we basically research our lives here on This Working Life. And so this episode's made me go, hey, what's next? What am I going to do till the end of the year? What will you be doing?
5: Um, I'll be audio lead for science, which means I'll be working with programs like All In the Mind, The Health Report, Science Friction,
1: et cetera. And why did you decide to say yes to this comment, Maria? Because I like challenge and I like change. And don't worry, Lisa, I'll be back. I'll be back next year. Now, who's going to be replacing you and who can work with me?
5: (laughs) A woman that I started working with at ABC Melbourne 20 years ago. She was the first person I worked with when I was down at Local Radio in Melbourne, Claudette Worden.
1: And a very warm welcome to Claudette. We'll be kind, won't we? Thanks so much for your company today. But before I go, some friends have dropped in to say hello. Benjamin Law and Beverly Wang from Stop Everything. Hello.
4: G'day, Lisa.
1: Hi, Lisa. You know the name of your show? It's actually quite dangerous. When I was presenting ABC Life Matters, I was talking on the air and my producer prompted me in my ear to forward promote your show and she said, stop everything. (laughs) So I did. (laughs) I literally stopped talking mid-sentence until my brain clicked in and then I went, oh, that's the show.
4: Oh, it's a show. Always a good
1: moment on live radio. Always a good moment. <laughs> and a call
4: to action. I mean, we like to think that it is a call to action, not just stop everything, but stop everything to listen to the show. <laughs> That's the second part of the equation.
1: <laughs> so, Ben, for those who may not have heard your show yet, give us your elevator pitch for stop everything.
4: Well, we like to say that culture moves fast. So by the time you get to the end of the week, it's a good time to stop everything and recap and process what happened that week in the week of culture. What was that celebrity non-apology about? What was that meme that went viral? What is that TV show or podcast or or album that everyone's talking about or might have landed in hot water for some reason And why? But more importantly, why does it matter as well? Because we see pop culture as much as it's entertaining, it reflects and affects the world around us.
1: Do I need to know anything about pop culture in order to listen to the show, Bev? Uh, No, definitely not. I think that pop culture is mass
6: culture, so you probably know more about it than you realize because it's everything that's surrounding you. It's what's on your phone, what's in your social media. What's what you're watching on TV, what you're listening to. And I guess I would add to that that in addition to the discussions that Ben and I have together about all the things he just mentioned, we also love to talk to creators, performers, thinkers, the people who make the stuff that we feed into our eyes and our earballs and our brains that tell us so much about what's happening in the world in terms of representation and politics and all of those media
1: topics that pop culture really ties into. Oh, and it sounds like I'll then be able to talk to my 13-year-old daughter and then be vicariously cool.
6: A hundred percent, (laughs) yes. We get a lot of messages from people saying, I now can speak to my teenage kids. I'm a grandparent. I can relate to my grandchildren. So we are also building bridges between generations, Lisa. (sighs) Namaste.
1: Now, on on the show, we love learning from others. So, tell us, what do you wish you'd known earlier in your career? That is such an interesting question, Lisa.
6: And I get that a lot sometimes when I'm asked to talk to journalism classes and and groups like that. And I think one of the things that I have learned as I've you know aged, time marches on, you become older and older w- against your will. And younger people come into the office and you think, hey, hang on a second. I'm not the young kid in the office anymore. How does this make me feel? But when you start to process and you go beyond your feelings, you actually realize or I realize that I can learn so much from all these fresh young people coming into the office with new ideas and not to fear that, but to actually embrace it. And the learning goes both ways. It's not just someone who's more senior teaching the younger cohort coming in, you can absorb and learn so much. So it's actually a great thing and really embrace that.
4: Hmm. Not just in a vampiric way, right? You're not no. just sucking their souls. <laughs> not just it's it... an exchange. It's an exchange. That's right. It's so interesting that you say that Beverly, because, you know, I've reached my late thirties now. So I've had the luxury of being mentored by people, but now I'm actually mentoring other people as well. And you're absolutely right. Like I think I'm getting as much from my mentees as much as the people who mentored me. The other thing that I would say, Lisa, the thing I wish I knew when I was starting out working is don't feel that pressure to box yourself in because other people are going to do that for you. They're going to see you as the very short Twitter bio version of yourself. You know, They're going to see you as, oh, that's that person and their niche or that's that person and that's their skill set. And that's fine if you really want to like go deep and narrow into a skill set or into a field of knowledge. But at the same time, don't be afraid to be a bit professionally promiscuous because all knowledge is valid and important and comes in handy.
6: Totally. I think I would add to that that you should just say yes to the things that terrify the heck out of you. So if someone comes along and asks you to do a talk or just do something that's kind of to the side of your skill set, I think particularly as a woman – there's a tendency to say, well, I don't know enough. I'm not an expert. And I know as a a radio producer, I've spoken to women that I want to speak to on my show, and they've said that to me, and I've had to do the convincing. So you have to have that conversation with yourself as if you were your friend and say, actually, you, you can do this. And that fear is you stretching yourself. So I would say also step into the fear. It's okay. What's the worst thing that, that could go wrong? It's actually okay to make mistakes, I think is really important.
1: Do you know, I've been doing something a little bit, uh, it's probably a yes and to that, which is the flip side and saying, uh, because I'm trying to sort of uh, go with the flow a little bit. So I've been doing the Marie Marie condoing of my mm. career, which is, does this spark joy? If so, mm. game on. If not, yes, yeah. maybe I won't. Well, yeah, well, and if it right. doesn't spark joy, say no. Mm-mm. That's okay.
4: I think those conversations need to be held in tandem, right? Like what we say yes to and also how we say no to things because I know I find it very difficult to say no to, uh, how to say no to people. and like, I'm letting you down. I'm letting everyone down. Everyone hates me. But uh, I know Laurie Moore, the sound artist and musician, she had this really good flowchart of saying no. She said it has to be interesting, it has to be fun it has to make money. If it, full, if it ticks two of those three boxes, then she says yes. But if it's only one or if it's zero, she definitely says no.
1: Oh, I like that. That's gold. That's great. I've written that down. So can you give us a sense of some of the people that you have spoken to on your show?
4: Well, we love a good name drop, (laughs) Lisa. That's one of the things we're really, really good at. Look, what I'm really proud about with Stop Everything is we really get to talk to people we love and are really interested in. So people like Remy Hee, Randall Park, amazing actors, Michelle Visage, the co-host of RuPaul's Drag Race, Oscar winners like Minari's Yunya Jung, singer-songwriter Tori Amos, Masterchef's Melissa Leong. We're talking to people across demographics, across generations. They're just really good at what they do and they're all part of the zeitgeist in their own way.
1: Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Bev. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Benjamin Law and Beverly Wang from Stop Everything. Download the podcast now for your weekly fix of pop culture. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working.